Thank y'all for singing this morning. It was a joy to hear all the voices lifting up these praises. John 14, as we continue in our study of the gospel according to John, and we will conclude chapter 14 today. And um, as I've continued to dive into this chapter and of course, if you remember a few weeks ago, Jason started us in this chapter talking about the hope and comfort that Christ gives. And really, though we've made it to the end of the chapter, the theme has remained the same. That Christ is talking to His disciples, telling them He is about to leave them, and yet He is giving them assurance and hope and comfort even in that leaving. And trying to think about you know, a way to kind of illustrate this as I, as I begin the, the message, although this is not necessarily the most uplifting way to do it, uh, as a pastor, I've been um, at several uh, deathbed situations, and maybe some of you have been in that way with other family members or things like that, but I can remember a, a, certainly a handful of those types of situations where I've been at a hospital or a nursing home with family as they're about to say goodbye to a loved one, and you, know, you hear people say things like, you know, we'll see you again, and I'll see you again, and as a believer, we say that with much hope, right? we believe that. Like, we don't just say that. As a believer, and I really believe it, I will see those loved ones again in eternity. I, we believe that. Um, but we say it, and I, I remember one specific time, this is some folks that I know Paula would know, sitting, and I was in uh, a nursing home there in Fulton, and, and a Christian lady, a great Christian lady, uh, was in her last moments, and I remember after she had passed on, the family was just broken because of their, their loss. Um, and I remember sitting there thinking, like, there's such a finality in death, right? There's a final, finality to it. Um, so, but even in death, as believers, this family I'm talking about, and we as believers know, it's not final. It is not death to die. We will one day see them again. And so Jesus here is telling his disciples, I'm leaving you. And he said it over and over again, I'm laying down my life, I'm leaving you. He said it in many different ways, but he assures them that even though he is leaving, he will not leave them alone. And in our text, he says, at least a couple different times, he says the title of today's sermon, I am coming to you. Let me give you the sermon in a sentence before we, we read it. The sermon in a sentence this morning from John 14, 18 through 31, is that Jesus comforts his disciples with the promise of his presence, and he reminds them to believe and obey. I'll give it to you again in a minute, but he comforts his disciples with the promise of his presence, and he reminds them to believe and obey. If you found John 14, verse 18, say word. Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the Lord and the world seeth me no more. But you see me, and because I live, you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And Judith, Judas saith unto him, 
not Iscariot, a different Judas. Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and he will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom this Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Sermon in a sentence. Jesus comforts his disciples with the promise of his presence, and he reminds them to believe and obey. I'm going to give you two main points this morning based on that sermon in a sentence. And I hope that as Jesus comforted them and challenged them, that this morning we as believers would be comforted and challenged with this text as well. The first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus does comfort these disciples with the promise of his presence. Again, if you were listening closely there, twice he said, I'm leaving, but I'm going to come to you. And he said it in several other ways as well. And so I want you to notice that the promise of Christ's presence gives these disciples hope. The promise of his presence gives them hope. Now, if you think about it, they're at a point right here when Jesus says, I'm leaving you, where they might feel hopeless. They might look and say, where's the hope? We have given three years of our lives, leaving behind things, leaving behind jobs and family and things, and we've followed this Savior, this Messiah, this Master, and now he is leaving us. We thought he was going to reign in Jerusalem. We thought he was going to put us as you know, important people in, in, the, in the nation, but yet he is leaving. Where does that leave us? And Jesus gives them hope based on his presence. Uh, let's look at it quickly again. Uh, verse 18, I want you to see it in the text. In verse 18 he says, um, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. How about verse 19? He says in verse 19, in the middle of that verse, I'm going to go, but you shall see me. The world may not, but you will see me. Look at verse 21. He says, the one that keeps my commands loves me. And he says, that's the one in verse 21 that I will manifest myself to. In other words, Christ says, I will make myself known to that person, those who believe. How about in verse 23? In verse 23, he says, the Father and the Son will come unto the person who loves Christ and make their home with him. To abide, abode means to abide, to live in, to indwell. And so he says, I will be with you. 
In verse 26, he mentions the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about more in a moment. But he says, the Father will send the Holy Spirit in my name to comfort you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will send the comforter. And in verse 28, again, he says, I go away and I come again to you. Based on just those verses I pulled out for you right there, can we say Jesus Christ has promised to never leave his disciples alone? That's a promise. He'll never leave. And think about it, they were left without maybe, maybe some worldly things they might have been left without for following him. Maybe they had to deny some things in their life and leave some things behind to follow him. Maybe they could have been more popular. Maybe they could have been more wealthy. But they left these things behind and they followed him. And what they got was eternal life and an abundant earthly life as far as spiritually speaking. They got the main thing, which is to know Christ. And I want to apply that to us, church. We may lack things that the world has. We may not have all the things that the people next door have or the people around us have, and that may cause us to stress or be worried or to yearn for things that we don't maybe need. But here's one thing we can never make a mistake about. If we are a Christian, we have the main thing. We have Christ. We have a relationship with our Creator, forgiveness of our sin, peace and hope and joy that no matter what comes our way, we are satisfied in Christ. See, these disciples are like some of us feel sometimes. Sometimes we go through situations where we ask, is God even near? Is God with me? Is God helping me? It doesn't seem like life's working out the way I want it to work out. Is God even, even around? But Jesus promises, I'm coming to you. I'm not leaving you. I, I, I'm leaving, but I'm still going to be there, <laughs> right? It's a promise of his presence, and it gives hope. We need that same promise. I don't know who might need it more than others this morning, but we need the promise. And, here, and here's kind of an, an, another application of this. It is true, we are prone to wonder. We leave Him, right? We walk away from Him at times, whether it's by a lack of prayer, a lack of Bible study, a lack of church. We walk away from the Lord at times, take steps away from Him. But I believe if you're, if you're a Christian, He is always there, ready to take you back. So what does this mean when Jesus says, I'm coming to you. I, I found this interesting as I studied this passage because there's at least three different ways in which Christ could mean, I'm coming to you. The first one is this. Is he talking about the second coming? Like, is he talking about, you know, way off in the distant future, even in our future, when he will return? The second one is the Holy Spirit. We know he mentions the Holy Spirit in this text more than once. Is he saying here, I'm going to come to you uh, as I send the Holy Spirit to, to live in you. Or, a third option, is he saying, guys, I'm going to die within hours, and three days later, I'm going to come and see you again. I wonder if you'd think about, just in your own mind, which one of those you think it is? Uh, that's a kind of interesting thought. And, and I've read, interestingly, good scholars who choose different ones of those uh, options. But, Here's one thing I know for sure, that all of those are true. Christ will return again. Christ did send the Holy Spirit, and Christ did appear to these disciples after his resurrection. But which one of these is specifically talking about? Well, let's break them down quickly. First, we know that Jesus will return again. Now, look in chapter 3, I mean, chapter 14, verse 3. Jason gave us this a while back, and you know this verse, many of you do. Chapter 14, verse 3, where Jesus says, 
I go to prepare a place for you. We've been singing about that for weeks now, right? He prepared a place for us. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so in that teaching, Jesus gives them a future hope by promising them, or a present hope by promising them a future hope. My guy, J.C. Ryle, thinks that our text today is referring to the second coming because he likes to use the context of John 14, 3. Before I leave that thought, too, I don't know, do we think enough about the second coming of Christ? Do we sing enough about it? Do we preach enough about it? I think the only time I usually hear the second coming talked about is to debate different theories on who's the Antichrist and what does this thing mean? This thing's happening in the world. Is that, is that a sign? Uh, it's more about debates or interesting thoughts about when's the world going to end than actually the importance of the second coming of Christ to set up his eternal kingdom. And I hope we will continue to sing about it. We did this morning. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. So whether this text in 18 through 31 is specifically talking about the second coming or not, we believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. We don't know all the details, and we, we in this room will disagree on some of those details, but we know he's coming back. And application for that, I'll throw this in there. We are not living our best life now, right? If you're living your best life now, your eternity is probably going to be hell, right? Because our best life is to come. The best is yet to come. So we look forward to that coming. The second thing there is the Holy Spirit. And we know, again, this text mentions the Holy Spirit multiple times. Christ says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will send the comforter. We know that happened specifically over in Acts. The Holy Spirit came and, and began to work in the lives of the early church. And so, yeah, in a sense, Christ will come to them and that the Father sends the Holy Spirit in his name to dwell in them. A third thing is a few days away. And this is what R.C. Sproul says. Uh, this is the one that he uh, likes based on the context that Jesus is telling them, I'm about to go away, but I'll see you soon. Which one do you like? Think about it. You don't say it out loud. Just think about it. Which one do you think matches the text more closely? Here's what I'll say. I think they all can certainly apply. And you know what? I'm not going to tell you which one I think. We'll discuss that at a later date. You can ask me later. But there's one I think is more, I think is probably more right as far as our text. But I want you to see this. The point is that when Jesus tells these guys, I'm coming to you, he fulfilled it. He fulfilled it. A few days later, when he met with them after the resurrection, he fulfilled it by sending the Holy Spirit, and he will ultimately fulfill it when he returns again. So the promise of Christ's presence gives them hope. Notice, secondly, that the promise of Christ's presence gives them assurance. And I found this in verse 20. So let's look back at verse 20. He says, At that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. And the word I want to emphasize in verse 20 is the word know. 
Christ says, when you see me again, you will know. There is an assurance in his words. There's an assurance in his promise. And don't you believe that when the disciples saw Jesus after the resurrection, although we know, you know, there was a moment of doubt, right, in some of them, but, or all of them, most of them, there's a moment of doubt, but eventually they saw him, and they were like, this is Christ. He is back. Don't you know when they saw the resurrected Christ, their level of assurance went through the roof <laughs> to know, yes, he made this promise, and yes, he fulfilled it. To see the Lord that they saw die on that cross, to see him again. There is assurance in knowing what God has said and believing what God has said. And in our text, something very important about assurance and about God is the Trinity. If you look back at the text, if you just glance down at your Bible, it doesn't take you but one or two glances and you'll see the Trinity all in this text. Christ is speaking. He speaks of the Father and he speaks of the Holy Spirit. All three are mentioned. I want to give you our confession of faith on the triune God. It says, We believe that there is one and only one living and true God. He is an infinite, intelligent spirit whose name is the Lord, the maker and supreme ruler of heaven and earth. He is inexpressibly glorious in holiness and worthy of all possible honor and love. In the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are equal in every divine perfection, yet carry out distinct but harmonious offices in the great work of redemption. And in this text, Jesus speaks of this comforter, which we'll talk about here in a moment. And through the, through the Trinity, through the Father's planning of things, through the, through the Son's achieving, accomplishing things by His life and death, and through the Spirit's application of things, we see that these believers and us can have a union with God. We are united with God. And so our assurance, listen, our assurance for this life and for eternal life is based on who God is. Seeing who God is in this text, seeing the, the power of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, how they work together and how they accomplish things in the lives of believers gives us assurance. Now, I know people whose assurance wavers greatly, and we've all probably been there at times. But I want to tell you this. Your assurance for eternal life is not based on how you feel. We all feel bad sometimes. We all feel worthless or unworthy a lot of times. We all feel down and out sometimes. But our assurance is not based on who we are or how we feel. Our hope and our assurance is based on who God is. If you know and love and serve the God of the Bible, you have assurance. Because he is sure, we can be sure. If we serve the God who was wishy-washy, then certainly we should worry. But our God is a rock, true, faithful, unchanging. And for all those reasons and more, our sovereign, holy, perfect, infinite, eternal God is our surety. So if you're doubting something this morning, doubting the Lord, doubting the church, doubting how, what you should do for Him, 
I want you to see that that doubt is coming just from self and, and sin and not from, from Christ. He gives us surety. The third thing uh, under our first point is, in, in Him comforting us, He does promise the Holy Spirit. And He gives us, the, gives us the Holy Spirit, as the text says here. And one thing I noticed about the Holy Spirit is that um, the Holy Spirit never draws attention to the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, the, the text says down in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit will come sent from the Father, sent in the name of the Son to teach them and to remind them of the things Christ has said. So the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes to believers to comfort and to teach and to remind us and point us closer toward Christ. Let me read 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. He says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. How many people read the Bible and get nothing out of it? How many people read it over and over again, or may even know some of it with their intellect, but never get any spiritual fruit from it? What's the reason why? Because for us to truly understand the things of God in the way that He intends for us to understand, we must be taught by the Holy Spirit. That is one of His jobs. He illuminates, He enlightens, He brings to light the things we read. 1 Corinthians 2 just told us, the Spirit helps us freely understand the things of God. I wonder how much we miss out on by not yielding to the Holy Spirit. By thinking, I'll just read the Bible today or I'll just listen to a sermon casually today. There's a way in which we can listen to a sermon and get nothing out of it. But there's also a way in which we can listen to a sermon with our mind and our heart and our soul, our our whole being, and just say, Lord, teach me through this sermon. There's a way we do that, and we kid ourselves to think we're going to get some great spiritual gain in our own mind and understanding. What's the Proverbs say? Lean not on your own understanding. But we have what we need to lean on, who we need to lean on, the Holy Spirit that God's given us. We, we as Baptists, I think, often have neglected the Holy Spirit or talking about the Holy Spirit because we've seen people maybe take the Holy Spirit and twist His person or His work. And many people think the Holy Spirit, that's just about, you know, um, getting into some kind of emotional frenzy or speaking in gibberish. Or I told you all the story about the time years ago, uh, 20 years ago, where Jesse was singing at a revival service, a small church, and she's singing, and all of a sudden I hear a loud noise, and a guy runs down the aisle. And I thought to myself, he caught the Spirit. <laughs> because that was kind of a joke, right? If somebody was kind of too active in church, they caught the Spirit, you know. And he ran out the door, and he, he had caught crystal meth. But he, <laughs> he, uh, he ran out the door, and it went bad. But, but that was seriously our mindset. But my mindset back then was if anybody, it would be like this. You'd be in church singing a song, and somebody would be like, 
they're getting the spirit, they're getting the spirit, they're catching the spirit. You know, we'd say things like that, or they're too emotional with the spirit. And so what we have done, I think, is let some people who misuse the spirit in ways neglect us from using the spirit in the correct way, or allowing him to use us in the correct way. He's here to teach us, to remind us of what Christ has said, to point us to Christ. I mean, without the Holy Spirit, you would not be a Christian. He applies the redemption that Christ accomplished. So, as we've come to accustom saying here, we certainly don't want to drive off into the charismatic ditch, but we also don't want to drive off into ignoring the Holy Spirit ditch. We want to be in the middle of the road, what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. What's the Bible say? Well, this is oversimplified because there are other texts about the Holy Spirit, and we'll cover some of them in John, but again, let's finish this part with verse 26. Again, the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. I want to give a J.C. Ryle quote, and then we'll move on from this point to the last point. Ryle says this, Are, you, are we sensible of spiritual ignorance? Do we feel that at best we know in part and see in part? Do we desire to understand more clearly the doctrines of the gospel? Let us pray daily for the help of the teaching of the Spirit. It is His office to illuminate the soul, to open the eyes of the understanding, and to guide us into all truth. It is Him who can make dark places light and rough places smooth. Do we find our memory of spiritual things defective? Do we complain that though we read and hear, we seem to lose as fast as we gain? Let us pray for help from the Holy Spirit. He alone can bring these things to our remembrance. He can make us remember old things and new. He can keep in our minds the whole system of truth and duty, and He can make us ready for every good work. Jesus comforts His disciples with the promise of His presence. Our second and final main point. Jesus reminds them to believe and obey. Now, I've hit on this a couple of weeks ago in the other sermon, but in verse 23, He speaks about loving Him, In verse 29, he says, I've told you these things that you might believe. So he's speaking there to their faith. He's speaking there to their love for him, their affection for him. And then in verse 21 and 23, he speaks to their obedience. He says, if you have my commands, in verse 21, and you keep them or obey them. And in verse 23 again, if someone loves me, if a man loves me, he will keep my words. And so... Yes, I'm going to comfort you, disciples, but you must love me, you must believe in me, and you must obey me. If we believe these things, if we see Christ the way He is meant to be seen, then we will love Him, we will believe in Him, and we will obey Him. And this is why we often talk about the word discipleship here in our church, and I love that word, a disciple is a follower of Jesus, someone who follows him in faith, love, and obedience. And discipleship is this process by which we equip each other to follow him. So I want to ask you, church, how are you doing? How's your faith this morning? How is your faith? We all go through ups and downs, no doubt about it. But is your faith in Christ? If your faith for the forgiveness of sin and eternal life 
is in anything other than Christ, then you need Christ. We sang it earlier, this is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. We sang it, nothing can for sin atone. What can for sin atone? Nothing but Christ. How's your faith? Secondly, how's your love for Christ? Do you love God? If I ask that question, I imagine most everybody in the room would say, yeah, I love God. And that leads me to my third thing here. Do you obey his word? There is an undeniable connection, not only in this text, but in the Bible itself, an undeniable, inseparable connection between faith, love, and obedience. If we say we have faith, if we say we have love for God, and we don't obey his word, we're lying to ourselves. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but we're going to strive to obey him, not to gain his, not to gain salvation, but as a fruit of our salvation. I won't dive into all the other verses here, but he continues. Judas, not Iscariot, asks him, how are you going to do this? And he explains that and Verse 27, he, he again just says, peace I live, leave with you, peace I give to you. He repeats what he said in the first part of the chapter, don't let your heart be troubled, let not your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. He's just giving him hope and comfort, peace. And then 30 and 31, he basically says it's time to go. He mentions that the, the ruler of the world is coming, the enemy, and let me just say briefly about that part in, in 30 and 31 that um, Christ's obedience to his Father's will, um, in spite of the enemy's work against him, shows us that the enemy had no real power over him. Let me say that again. Christ's obedience to the Father's will, despite or in spite of the enemy's attacking Christ, shows that the enemy has no real power over him. If we follow the Father's will, Though the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he, whom he may devour, though the world is, is against us, if we're in the Father's will, the enemy has no real power over us. Christ has the power. Isn't that good? And that's a good thing, and we're comfortable. But if you're a believer in another country who is in danger of losing your life or being thrown in jail for going to church, what a hope to know that those enemies have no real power over you. Two quick implications. Number one, Christ secures his people. Christ secures his people. Church, we are united with him in such a way. If you are a believer, if your faith is in Christ, you're united with him in such a way that you are secure forever. He causes us to persevere. Verse 19, he says to those disciples, Because I live, you shall live also. We are secure in Him. Secondly, our obedience to Christ is proof of our love for Christ. If you want to set some goals for 2023, let one of those goals be, I'm not just going to talk the Christian talk. I'm not just going to sing the Christian lyric. I'm not just going to think good feelings or desires about religion. But I'm going to learn 
and I'm going to do the commands of Christ. What a resolution that would be for, for us. Final thoughts. Sermon in a sentence. Let's change it. Let's personalize the sermon in a sentence. Jesus comforts us with the promise of His Holy Spirit, the promise of His presence, and He reminds us to believe and obey. Let's pray.